Seems like every year that uh, there's some words that stick, and Hineni stuck this year, didn't it? For those of you that are uh, joining us uh, for the first time this morning, uh, the theme with you has already been indicated. Uh, the temptation is to, uh, for your benefit, to try to do a recap or an encapsulation, and I'm not going to do that because I'm not capable of doing that. Uh, it's been uh, so much that's been said in and around that theme. Uh, the overarching uh, statement or the ov overarching message is that throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, there's a prevailing theme of God's desire and God's detention, uh, intention to be with us and uh, amongst us. Uh, I will focus on that. I actually think I found a couple of things in Scripture that was not covered in the last three days. I kept thinking, I said, the whole Bible has been preached since we've been here, from Genesis to Revelation, with, from Adam in the garden, and then, sure enough, somebody finished with uh, the New Jerusalem. And, and I'm thinking, golly, that's where I was going. There's nothing left. Uh, but there is, is always something left. Uh, and it, we've been hearing the same theme over and over and over from different angles, different perspectives, different stories, the same theme. Uh, and you say, well, isn't that getting a little redundant? It's inexhaustible. And the reason that we need to hear it, and we need to hear it again, and that we need to be stirred up by way of reminder it's because the chisel is at work, Mark, and it's getting through, and we need to hear it again. Sometimes when we hear it the first time, we just look like this. <laughs> and then eventually you get to the place where we're going. <laughs> and then we keep hearing it, and we keep hearing it, and we're saying, yes, yes. And it starts to get through as God drills down deep into us and onto us something that he wants us to know and to live in forever. Uh, there's a prayer that Sue and I pray every day, and I'm going to invite you to do it with me. I, I, I think I've done it every year for the last several years, and it's called the Colic of Purity. And what it does is it momentarily brings us from all of our many different circumstances, our backgrounds, our cities, our locations, and some of you are here for the very first time this morning. Um, this train has been rolling for about three days, and all I can tell you is uh, get on board. Give you the invitation, get on board, and let's go together. But one of the things that will help us is if we together give voice to this common prayer. It is inexhaustible. And if you look at the words for just a moment before we pray, we're talking about the God that knows it all, knows where we are, knows our address, sees our heart, and is so prepared to send the breath of his Holy Spirit to waft out the furthest chambers of our souls so that we can love him better and be with him 
more purposefully. And to magnify his name. You know what to magnify his name, name is? You know what it means? You know what a magnifying glass is? What does it do? It makes things larger. It takes things that are small and makes them big. Well, to magnify his name is to make his name larger wherever we go. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify thy holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you. Doesn't it feel good to just collect us together and say, all right, that's where we are. We're on the same page. That's where we're going. The... Um, <coughs> feast in the Old Testament, seven of them, were all, first of all, foreshadowings of the person of Jesus. Every verse in the Old Testament ultimately points to Jesus. The feast in particular point to the person of Jesus. It also points to the great theme of God's desire to tabernacle amongst his people and to be with them. In Exodus 19, God says, you will be my own precious treasured possession. And the feasts of the Old Testament were times of celebration. They were times of gathering up. There was times of bringing even, and I don't know what you're gonna do with this pastors when I put this out, they were instructed to save a, a, a tithe for every three years so they could get together and bring all their stuff and have one outrageous party. It was a celebration. I mean, th this was, you know, this was not about going out into the desert and sleeping on stone beds. This was celebration. And Sue uh, often reminds me uh, of is that God wants a party. And I hope I can say that without it seeming to you that I'm trivializing something that is very sacred. Because it's a holy party, it's a good party, but when you look at it and you study the feast, there is a whole lot going on and there's a lot of wine going down. And there's, there's roasting of meat, there's celebration and feast that goes on for a week. And it's all about being with God and celebrating God and him celebrating us and him being with us and us living in that kind of environment, in that atmosphere. So if you ever wonder where that party thing in you comes from, I believe it comes from the very heart of God himself. Now, I want to, there's something that's very important, Tim, that if I point out, Mark, I'm going to use you again. You referred to the prodigal son. 
The prodigal son returns home. The father is so overjoyed and so full of gratitude. But be careful that he didn't go after the son and make the son come home. He had to wait till the son wanted to come home. And he'd come to the end of whatever it is that he was pursuing. And he finally comes to that point of revelation where he comes home. And the father puts a ring on his finger, breaks out a robe, and kills a fatted calf. And the older son becomes angry. And then he goes, uh, he goes to his father, and he makes, let me read it. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Let me back up to verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has, uh, he has him back safe and sound. He has him back. He's with him. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, listen, look, all these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a younger goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Not celebrate with the father, but to go celebrate with his friends. The difference between a feast that is centered in the right person, which is holy and sacred, and shifting to a religious mindset, which the Jewish community did do eventually. They turned a holy celebration with his presence into religious ritual that was without him. That's what religion is. It's the right thing done without the right person. When I look, I mean, let that sink in a little bit. Because you can start off with the right thing and the right celebration and for the right reasons and shift toward something that does the same thing, but it's not with him. And it's not him being with you. And that becomes hard religion that establishes rules and asks people to dance when there's no music playing. Now, you're either getting that or you're not. I hope you are. 
everything about this theme, God with us, and we've, we've heard it, and how he's been with Abraham, how he's been with Isaac and Jacob, how he was with Noah, uh, and all the, through biblical history, how God was with people, and how he took the initiative to come down and make himself known. It wasn't somehow people squeaking their way up the mountain and somehow some by some happenstance getting in touch with God. It was God freely revealing himself, openly revealing himself as someone who wanted to be with them, with us. And it's ultimately revealed in Emmanuel, Jesus, who encompasses everything that the Old Testament pointed to, to the extent he could say, when you've seen me, you have seen the Father. A staggering, astounding statement. And Jesus is the one who said in uh, John 14, I want to read it. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So this theme of God being with us and God making himself known and revealing himself, it doesn't end there. There's an eternal aspect, an eternal dimension to this, that he is preparing a place for us so that we could be with him forever. One day when we were living in Mission Viejo and planning the church that I was driving through an intersection, I remembered as clear as, uh, as if it happened this morning. We were driving through the intersection, and all of a sudden it hit me. I'm going to live forever. And I, I went, ah I, I couldn't. My head broke. I said, everything in my life has terminal points. Days come to an end. Meals are over. Weeks conclude uh, everything. Life itself comes to some point of termination, and all of a sudden the idea of living forever completely twisted my head. I thought, I can't take that <laughs> And I still can't. People say, well, what's eternity like? I don't know. I haven't been there. <laughs> I will, but wait a minute, I have. Sort of. I've received taste, I've seen a, what's the term? Token I have received through the Holy Spirit 
I'm living life now in the light of eternity, in the light of a destiny, in the light of, of something called the wedding feast of the Lamb, which is coming. By the way, you probably figured out by now this is a communion service. This is not communion tacked on at the end of a service. Everything about this weekend has moved us to this. The whole weekend moves us to this. It's been a long parade of considering and examining and letting the Word of God speak to us, let it shape us, let it move over our hearts and our minds so we start getting it better. How many of you say you haven't gotten it fully yet? But I think I'm getting it a little better. It all moves us, shapes us, moves upon our hearts and our minds to prepare us to come to this with a greater understanding of what it is that we're doing when we come to it. Do you know this is a foretaste of the wedding supper of the Lamb? This, when we come to bread and when we come to the cup and we partake of it, we're anticipating a day when we will be with Him forever and that we will be at the wedding feast of the Lamb? Sometimes we get so earthbound that we can't get beyond our immediate circumstances and the fact that we need God with us right now. And indeed we do. But there's something even yet pulling at our hearts that's got eternity on it. That's saying we are heading through the veil into a place that he is preparing for us and I'm not going to get caught up in streets of gold. I don't want to get involved in the eschatology. When is this going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen when we get there? Uh, do we fall asleep? Do we, Paul says, if I'm absent from the body, I'm, uh, you know, I'm in the presence of the Lord. I mean, you can go through, you can do all the theology you want. The one thing that helps me is to know I'm going to be with him. And I know that being with him is way beyond anything I could imagine or think or anticipate. I'm going to be with him. He's going to prepare a place for me so I can be with him. And I got a feeling that it ain't no lean-to. <laughs> I, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I know I'm going to be with him. Maybe this theme is uh, real to me because I'm closer to that point than I ever have been. It's, I can see the finish line on the horizon. And I had this, I've had this vision of me crossing the finish line. Lord, help me to finish well. I want to I step into your presence. I have so little to bring. The longer I live, the, the more I realize I have crumbs. I think he likes my crumbs <laughs> in my fumbles. And one night I was in, in bed and I was anticipating. I was saying, Lord, I said, I want to finish well. And I, I said, I think I see the finish line on the horizon. And I'm pressing towards it. And there's times when I thought if I could just cross the finish line and fall into his hands with my chest out and my arms raised. And I said, Lord, I think the truth of the matter is you're going to kind of have to come back and help me stumble across 
You see that marathon sometimes? People have to go back and, you know, help their buddies. And get, get. I'm going to need some help. I can't get there by myself. Uh, one verse of scripture, I need to leave you with a scripture or two. So in the rest of the stuff that I'm saying, it, it'll be a good exercise for you to read your Bible and check up and see if what I'm telling is true. That'll be good for you. The Bereans did that. They were more noble because they searched the scriptures to see if these things were true. But I want to give you one thing. Uh, it's a lifelong message. But I'll give you something if you'll take it and let it speak to you and let it guide you, I think it will help you to move more fully into living life now in the light of eternity. It's, it's not going to be eschatologically deep, and it's not going to get into all the nuances of, of the eschaton and things to come and what's going to happen. But listen, it's simple. And I think that's how the early Christians lived, with simple truth that was beyond comprehension. The opening verses of chapter 1 of the book of Acts, and you can turn to it if you want. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to his apostles, he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And spoke about the kingdom of God. For 40 days post-resurrection, he's with the disciples and he taught them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Are you pretty clear about the message that he wanted them to understand? It was the message of the kingdom of God, what was revealed in the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament, God's heart and mind for every sphere of life, and what it means to live in the light of His reign and His rule in our hearts over every sphere, personally, our families, our life together, the marketplace, everything is touched by the kingdom of God. It is a place where the kingdom of God is manifest. It's abundantly clear that that was the focus, that was the message. But then immediately he follows and he says, now, he didn't use these exact words, but here's the essence of it. Now, you go wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And to me, inherent within that is you can't deliver the message without the power that I'm going to be sending. And so they had two important truths ringing in their ear, the message of the kingdom, but we've got to have the power, the dunamis of the Holy Spirit in order to be able to do it. And then the third element was this. They're standing there with Jesus. He ascends to the Father. Their mouths are hanging open. 
And the angel, the angelic messenger, say to them, what are you looking at? I'm, honestly, I'm just human enough. To, if, if they, you know, I see Jesus ascend to go to be with the Father, and the angels then say, what are you, what are you staring at? I'd want to say, what? Did you just see what happened? And they said, wait, the same Jesus, to see the way you've seen him go, he will come back. So there were three things that were pulsating in the hearts and minds of these early followers, and that is the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Uh, Thy kingdom come on earth as, as it is in heaven. I need the power of the Holy Spirit if I'm going to be able to deliver that. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead has got to be in, at work in me if I'm going to, one, live it, and two, talk about it. And I can't talk about it unless I'm living it. I can't talk about what I don't know about. So if I know the kingdom... I'm going to know it in the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to speak about it and live it and deliver it in the power of the Holy Spirit. But wait a minute. Get this. This same Jesus, the way he went, he's coming back, and he's coming back for me to take me to a place that he's prepared for me. And so here they are at simultaneously involved in seeking the kingdom, pursuing the kingdom, preaching the kingdom, living the kingdom in the power of the Holy Spirit and realizing, Lord, if you don't come and do something for me today and if you don't visit me in the power uh, of the Holy Spirit, I am up the creek. I am not going to be able to get anything done the way it ought to be done. Come, Lord Jesus. And, and then, then they live with this, which I believe personally is a deficiency in the church today. They live this, like this, the kingdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. Kingdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe today. He's coming. Not only is he coming, but the scripture talks about there's a city that's coming. There's a festival coming. There is the wedding feast of the Lamb. I've, folks, I want to get to where I'm looking forward to that more than I do the after-hour parties I have with you when I'm at ACM. <laughs> I want to hear that until I'm so arrested by the message that He is coming back. He is coming. And he's coming for you, he's coming for me, and he's coming to take us to a place that he has prepared for us to live with him forever. All right. We need to move to the table. We need to move to this because it is heaven on earth. Come on. Listen to me. I'm not going to go spooky on you. When we bring the fruit of the earth, which is made from grain, and we bring the fruit of the vine, and we hear Jesus say, this is my body which is given for you, 
and I'll, I'll do the words of institution here in, in just a moment, that we are doing something tangibly on earth that's connected with something that is prepared for us in eternity that will be without spot or wrinkle. It will be without imperfections. And it's, it's in anticipation of something that is coming. And I want to read it. And this will be pretty much it. I'm saying pretty much because it reserves for me the place of being able to throw, maybe throw in one more. It is so important for us to let the word of God shape our thinking, shape our hearts, and shape our minds. And you know, that's the whole design. We gather together for days. We've been letting the word of God bathe us, shape us, form us, draw us, speak to us, get into us so that we're thinking more like he does and so that we can go out prepared to live lives that have been amended with an enhanced point of view concerning God's design and God's will. And that culminates by being able to come to this bread and to this cup and uh, I'll tell you what I believe and with it what you want. That when we take the simple elements of the earth and we lift it before God as an oblation. An oblation is something that's offered up that becomes more than what it is. We offer bread, we offer wine, it becomes more than what it is. I'm not going beyond that. I'm not going to try to get into the certainty of what it is or what it isn't. That's not the point. It's just this suddenly is an ordinary bread and ordinary wine when it's, we offer it together with thanksgiving before God and we invoke the presence of the Holy Spirit on these elements and us that we are participating in something that is sacred and holy and that is out of this world that Jesus established for us. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. <laughs> and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. My head's blowing up. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. Or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. That's what's coming. What's on the way. 
kingdom, the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe today. How'd it be like to get up every day and go to the window and look out and say, maybe today. Yeah. That's how the early church did it. Looking for him every day. Looking for him. In fact, Paul says something like, seek those things which are on high at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus. Something about our lives being governed by things that are eternal and things that are coming. In a minute, I'm going to ask Gustafson uh, to come up with a, a few of the musicians. He's written a song. It's called New Jerusalem. Uh, the men heard it last year, but many of you have not heard it. And I, I feel like that it's a, it's a gradual that takes us from the words from Scripture to the song within our heart that brings us to the table where together we partake. But before we do that, I, I'm going to invite you to do something with me that is a, a regular practice of mine. Because 1 Corinthians uh, 11 talks about examining ourselves and acknowledging the truth is that we've, we've fallen short. We haven't loved God with all of our hearts. We haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves. And uh, the point is not to get morose and, uh, and go into some mournful, penitential mode. But listen to these words. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I'm going to invite you to join me in a simple confession. And then we're going to greet one another. And we're going to hear from Garrett. And then we're going to come to the table. And we'll do all that in a timely fashion. But not be rushed. If you're in this room, and for whatever reason, you're not comfortable uh, partaking of this meal, the sacred meal. We still invite you to just come forward, just place your hands over your heart and let people pray for you and bless you. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I won't say run to this table because we might have some collisions. But with intentionality, let's come to this table and let's feed on our hearts by faith in him and strengthen him and say maybe today as in anticipation of the wedding supper of the Lamb. And the city 
is coming. together most merciful God we confess that we have sinned against you in thought word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone we have not loved you with our whole heart we've not loved our neighbors as ourselves we are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep us in everlasting life.